nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, aneconomyofone.com. Aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook, An Economy of One. You got a question, comment? Uh, a mild snide remark, you can email me at producer at aneconomyofone.com. That's producer at aneconomyofone.com. Welcome to Labor Day. Labor Day. That's an interesting holiday. It's kind of morphed into a long weekend versus what it was originally intended for. Nobody really knows who the actual person was that decided we should have a Labor Day. Some people say it was a gentleman by the name of Peter McGuire, General Secretary of the Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners. And other people say it was Matthew McGuire. So uh, needless to say, it was probably somebody named McGuire. But it revolved out of, or evolved out of rather, the unions and wanting some recognition. I've always found it ironic that nobody works on Labor Day. Nobody works. Well, I shouldn't say that. I work. Uh, I work all the time. It's just my lifestyle. I, I, uh, I'm a 24-7 kind of guy, and if I'm not working, I'm sleeping and probably having a dream about what I should be doing at work. But in the spirit of Labor Day, I thought it'd be interesting to look at what is going on out there in the job market. And some of the research is fascinating. I'm an employer. Uh, I own several companies and I have employees. And I've said for a long time, everybody's said for a long time, anybody who's an employer has said for a long time, it's tough to get good help. Tough to get good help. Well, it's getting tougher. It's getting tougher because employers are finding that the skills they need are classified what they call soft skills. And soft skills are communication skills, critical thinking, the ability to problem solve, take initiative, get along with their fellow workers, have a team spirit there. And we're just not getting that coming out of college. And, and you know, I, I hate to be one of those people that use the phrase, eh, kids today. But you've got people entering the workforce somewhere between, I don't know, age 16 and age 25 that can't communicate worth a darn. They can barely put a coherent sentence together. They don't look you in the eye. They have a handshake like a wet dish rag. And they don't have critical thinking skills. When I interview people for, for jobs, I have my own way of doing it, my own, my own uniqueness, if you will. 
and I don't ask them, you know, what their weaknesses are. The weaknesses are always, oh, I work too hard. Uh, I commit too much to work. I, I spend too much time. It's all BS. Questions I ask, and, and this was recommended to me a long time ago, and I, I, I do this and I have a variation on this. One of the questions I ask is, what was the last book you read? Now think about that. Think about that. How many people will have an answer to that question? What is the last book that you read? Now, if the title of the book begins with the phrase Dick and Jane, you may not have a qualified employee there. Now, I don't want to brag about things. I don't want to appear to be bragging about things, but I read about a hundred books a year. Now that's extraordinary, but I have no life. I have no children. Consequently, I have no grandchildren. And I love reading as my favorite pastime over and above anything else. But most people don't read. I read a while back that 80% of the books a person reads are read before the age of 24, which makes sense because that's school, it's textbooks, it's college, that kind of stuff. I also read that 80% of the books sold on the New York Times bestseller list are never read past the first chapter. So the intent is there. People know they should be reading, they just don't. One of my favorite questions in an interview is asking a person, who is John Galt? Now I have yet to have anybody answer the question correctly. So I always tell them, if you can answer this next question, the job is yours. And they perk right up. And the question is, who is John Galt? Nobody knows the answer. For those of you that listen to me for a while, you know the answer. And if I ever get that answer, I will hire that person on the spot. I will figure out a place for them in my organization. What we're seeing in the workforce today is that manufacturing jobs, low-skill jobs, are being taken over by robots. It's much easier. It's cheaper for the company. And... You can program a computer, you can program a robot to screw in the same bolt all day long, never gets tired, and it never complains. Never takes a break, it just runs. If it messes up, you fix it, replace some parts, and off you go. But other employers that look for these soft skills, more important than technical skills, in fact, 98% of them, said that soft skills are more important than technical skills. And 89% said they uh, have a very difficult time finding people with these attributes. The ability to communicate trumps everything else. They need to be organized. People need to have a capacity for teamwork, critical thinking, punctuality. That's a pet peeve of mine. Need to be creative and adaptable. And... They want people to take the initiative to think through the problem, make a decision, take an action. How many times do you see, and maybe you do it, you don't want to make a decision without guidance because you don't want to take responsibility for the results of that decision. Make a decision. If it's wrong, own it. Fix it. Move on. As an employer, I will respect that. To me, mistakes are part of the learning process of being an employee. 
So I have no problem with employees making mistakes. I have a real problem with employees making the same mistake over and over because then they're not learning. But if they make a mistake, even if it costs the company money, I don't get too upset because I consider that tuition. I've had employees that made mistakes and cost me thousands of dollars to fix them, and I haven't fired them because I just spent thousands of dollars educating an employee where my competition hasn't spent that tuition and that their employee may not know the lesson that mine does. So mistakes are inevitable. They're part of the process. I've heard employers take out prospective employees out to dinner, out to dinner with their families. And they want to see how the family communicates. They want to see how people interact with the wait staff. I had a business deal a few years ago and uh, attorney brought me in and I was going to meet the, the guy with the idea that they wanted me to fund. And I sat down, I hadn't sat down two minutes and this guy had used the F word two or three times and he was flirting with the server. Now, the attorney that brought me in knew, knew what my reaction was going to be. And I ended the meeting without lunch. I told the guy, I'm not interested. And he said, you haven't heard the idea. I said, I don't need to hear the idea. I know the guy pitching the idea and not impressed. And I got up and walked out. The guy did get funding from someone else, and the company crashed and burned. And it was actually a pretty good idea, but the, uh, the company crashed and burned. And I guarantee you it's because of this arrogant son of a gun that didn't know how to communicate. He didn't understand how some people think and what it takes to get people on board and creative behind an idea. So as we look at this Labor Day, as we barbecue something tomorrow, as we have a picnic, as we interact with friends and family, let's remember really what this country is about. I understand unions. I've got nothing against unions. I got a lot against uh, any organization or individual that tries to hinder an entrepreneur unfairly. I also got a problem with employers who want to take advantage and beat up their employees, both figuratively and literally. But let's step back and see what it takes to succeed, what skills people have, and maybe get a clear look at those soft skills that I think are critical. Up next, speaking of soft skills, we got some new information out there from one of our presidential candidates about mental illness. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, something that I heard this week in, from one of the presidential candidates uh, that just kind of didn't get any press. I didn't hear anything about it. And that was Hillary Clinton talking about mental illness in this country. Now, what caught my attention was she said there was something like 50 million Americans that suffer from mental illness each year. 50 million. Now, it might have been 40 million, 42, 45, something. I don't know what the number was. Doesn't matter because one, I don't believe that number. That's one out of every six people in the United States. That's about half of all the adults in the United States. Now think about that. Half or a third of all the adults in the United States have some form of mental illness. Now I could make the argument that probably 100% of us have some type of mental illness And realistically, it boils down to what is the definition of mental illness? So it can be depression. I understand that. Bipolar disorder. Schizophrenia. Now we can get into some real stuff here. But it also can be simply attention deficit disorder. Not being able to pay attention. A lot of things can fall under the definition of of mental health. Now, why is this important? Why do I care? Okay, well, I care for a couple reasons, not the least of which in recent history, we've had a lot of discussion around gun rights and mental illness. And we've had stories of, you know, well, older people get depressed And we need to take away their guns to protect them from themselves and protect them from hurting the grandchildren. Apparently to hurt the children's okay, but not the grandchildren. No, 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 no. 9.3 million Americans have a serious mental illness. That is their condition impedes their day-to-day activities such as going to work or whatever. 9.3 million. Now, we know how they extrapolate these numbers, and it's absurd. So uh, that's part of the reason I don't trust it. The main reason I don't trust it is because it's government putting it out there, and there's been too much discussion connecting gun rights to mental illness. Now, I don't want to sound cavalier, and and, and I, I... Certainly don't take people's life or human life unseriously. But quite honestly, if somebody wants to commit suicide, I got no problem with that. You want to kill yourself, kill yourself. I don't feel an obligation to pass a whole bunch of laws and spend tons of dollars of taxpayer money to try and prevent you from doing that. If you want to do it, do it. I do have a problem with you taking some people with you. I don't want you killing your family and then committing suicide. That's a problem. But Clinton made this announcement and she wants to 
bring that into the healthcare system. That's part of her enhancement to Obamacare. Billions and billions and billions of dollars she wants to commit of your money and my money to community health centers that provide substance abuse and mental health treatment as well as traditional medical care. Now let's talk about this for a minute. I am not a doctor and I'm certainly not a psychiatrist or a psychologist and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn last night, but I did go to school. I do read over 100 books a year, plus everything else. And I read recently that if someone is clinically depressed and they go to a therapist for two years, go to a therapist, you're clinically depressed, you go to a therapist, after two years, you have a 60% chance of being fully cured. On the other hand, if you are diagnosed clinically depressed and you do nothing, you do not go to a therapist, you do not take any medication, you do nothing. At the end of two years, you're a little over 75% chance of being cured. So the cure rate is higher if you don't seek treatment. Now that makes sense to me to a certain extent because what is the psychiatrist or the doctor or the therapist or whoever, what's their motivation for talking to you they get paid if you keep coming back. They don't get paid if you don't. Now, I'm not impugning doctors or psychiatrists or anything like that. I think their motivation is probably pure. But I understand the system. It concerns me they throw out these kind of numbers. They don't back them up. And in the past, we've had conversation about mental health and gun rights. I think it's a dangerous, dangerous connection coming from a presidential candidate speaking of presidential candidates up next we're going to talk about the election system and it being a crucial infrastructure you got to hear this gary rathbun an economy of one An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Very disturbing, very disturbing news this week. Um, once again, kind of like uh, Hillary Clinton's mental health comments, this didn't get a lot of play either. Uh, we did hear about some uh, uh, hacking into the election system in Illinois uh, this week, and hackers tried to get access to the Arizona uh, election system. Uh, so that's part one of the story. So we saw that. And of course we blame the Russians and, and, uh, Senator, uh, uh, Harry Reid sent a letter to the FBI, uh, saying the threat of the Russian government tampering in our presidential election is more extensive than widely known and may include the intent to falsify official election results. Now, that's a powerful statement, but what that does is it triggers uh, a series of comments and actions. The action or the comments that 
disturbed me most was the possibility of the Department of Homeland Security taking over the U.S. elections. Now think about this. This is the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, taking over all of the election process, essentially federalizing the election. Now, I am more concerned about our government screwing up the election process than I am about Russia screwing up our election process. There's an old adage in war. And the old adage is, never attack an enemy who's busy committing suicide. Now, is America committing suicide? Hmm, no, I don't think so. Are we hitting ourselves in the head with a tire iron because we think it'll feel good when we quit? Probably. And if I was Russia, I'd sit back, put my feet up, have a Coke and some Cheetos, and watch the show. Because I think it matters not to Russia who gets elected this fall. But back to the Department of Homeland Security, I find it interesting that a couple stories come out of potential hacking in a couple of states, and within a very short time, Homeland Security Secretary Johnson starts talking about the election process being a critical infrastructure. And we got to maintain the integrity of the election process. Now, understand there's no problem with the integrity of the election process by eliminating voter ID laws. Doesn't matter who votes, doesn't matter who shows up, whether they're an American citizen, whether they're legally able to vote in that district, none of that matters. Okay, it's the counting of the votes. I think it was John Fund uh, who wrote a book called Who's Counting about fraud in, in our election process. And he says it's not who votes, it's who counts the votes that's important. Well, if the federal government, if the Department of Homeland Security is counting the votes, um, I'm not going to feel real good about that. Now think about our government agencies in recent history. We've seen what the IRS has done. We've seen that they have, have targeted conservative groups, Tea Party groups, patriot groups for political reasons. We've seen over and over and over again different government agencies geared toward doing what supports the president's narrative and policy. Caveat, both sides, absolutely both sides. Okay, so don't don't talk to me about the Democrat the, the Republicans do it too, so the Republic uh, Democrats can do it. No, both sides. 
integrity problems are at a federal level are both sides of the aisle. I got no problem saying that. Department of Homeland takes uh, takes over the the uh, control of the U.S. election process. That's essentially the end game. That's fundamentally transforming our constitutional republic into a police state. How will you know? How will you know the integrity of the polls? You won't. None of us, nobody, ever, anywhere, trusts the federal government. And if you do, then you're probably too stupid to live here. There's nothing about the federal government I trust. Nothing. Nothing. If they told me it was daylight outside, I'd go to the window and look. So to have the federal government the Department of Homeland Security in charge of the election process? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and classifying a critical infrastructure. I mean, how many votes would get eliminated that didn't fit the, the criteria of whatever their software says? What, what, I mean, it's just unbelievable to me, and yet, very few people talking about this, this week. They got no problem doing this, and no problem trying to eliminate voter ID laws. Well, how many things in this country require you to have a photo ID? Let's think about this for a minute. Uh, we all know you, if you're going to buy a gun, you got to have a voter, uh, voter, a uh, picture ID. We know that. Okay, so that's one. Uh, welfare benefits. You know, to get welfare benefits, you have to show ID. There's no constitutional right to welfare benefits. The Supreme Court uh, held this up uh, a long time ago that welfare recipients are entitled to due process with a hearing before benefits can be terminated. But nevertheless, states require proof of identity to collect welfare. Massachusetts, of all places, requires a photo ID on the electronic benefit cards. So not only do you need an ID to get it, you need an ID to use it. If you want to petition the government, you're subject to ID scrutiny. First Amendment freedoms sometimes require some identifications. One of our favorite guys we've talked to, Hans von Spakovsky. He's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and former Justice Department attorney. A First Amendment, quote, First Amendment guarantees the right to petition your government, but anyone who wants to meet with the Department of Justice has to show a government-issued photo ID just to get into the meeting. 
Many municipalities require permits to hold protests or rallies. So your right to assemble needs a photo ID. Right to marry. You need an official ID to obtain a marriage license. Freedom of movement. Can't get on an airplane without a photo ID. Something that just happened to me. Went to the bank to open a checking account for one of my companies. Had to give them a copy of my driver's license. If I didn't give them a copy of my driver's license, they weren't going to open the account. All of these things need photo ID, and for a reason. I'm not complaining that they need a photo ID. I'm pointing out that they do need a photo ID. And it's for a reason. It's for an integral reason. Voting, I think, is one of the most important things that Americans do in this country. I think you have a right not to vote. We've talked about that before. But uh, if you do vote, I think the highest order ought to be that your vote is integral. That it is counted. That it is not eliminated. That it means something. But Department of Homeland Security is going to take over, and I know that I personally will feel my vote is meaningless now because I don't trust Homeland Security for counting the votes. Just don't trust them, and I never will. I never will trust them. So... Give this some thought as we go into this election. How comfortable do you feel the Department of Homeland Security being in charge of the election process? I think that that would be one of the final final steps to being a third world country. You lose the integrity of the polls, you you lose your constitution. Let me know what you think about the Department of Homeland Security and the integrity of of your vote. Drop me a line on Facebook, economy of one on Facebook, or our email, producer at aneconomyofone.com. Up next, on a lighter note, take a look at what's going on on some of university campuses uh, this week as as students get back into the groove and go back to school. Uh, interesting stories start coming out. I'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Well, kids are going back to school. I always liked going back to school in the fall. Always enjoyed school. But kids are going back to college, and of course the college stories are starting to come out. Two of them really caught my attention this week. 
One is the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. Been there, beautiful place. One of my wife's favorite places in the whole United States, Colorado Springs. Several professors came out and said, we will not, quote, we will not at any time debate climate change from the standpoint, I'm paraphrasing now, from the standpoint of whether it's caused by man or not. So several university professors at the University of Colorado said they will not debate anything that would detract from the central concerns of the environment and health addressed in their courses. They will not debate the other side of climate change. Opening up a debate that is 98% of climate scientists unequivocally agree to be a non-debate would detract from these central concerns. If you believe this premise to be an issue for you, we respectfully ask you do not take the course. Now, is that amazing or what? Can you imagine a university professor at that level, University of Colorado, big school, coming out and saying, we will not debate. Students who take that course and try to debate obviously will flunk the course. But the fact that 98% of climate scientists unequivocally agree, one, that's not true. You You and I both know that. That is absolutely not true. But even if it was... What about the 2%? How many times in human history has the 2%, the 1%, the sole individual stood against an idea, a thought, a conclusion that was irrefutable and changed the course of history? To say you won't debate that at a college level? You won't debate it? Really? Unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. If my kid, if I had a kid, and he or she went to the University of Colorado and I read this, uh, I would drive out there and bring them home. Screw that. I'm not paying that kind of tuition money for that kind of thought process. We started the show today talking about objective thinking rational thought, these soft skills that employers are looking for. Employers are not looking for people to say, uh, no, you're wrong, the debate's over, we're not going to talk about it, write me a check. That's not what employers are looking for. That is not the world today, certainly not this country. They don't even want to look at the recent NASA study. Have you seen this? where the uh, ice in Antarctica is actually growing and has been growing larger for several years. That's where the ozone hole is. Remember we talked about the ozone hole a few weeks ago. But uh, they're not going to debate it. Nope, nope. Doesn't matter what the NASA report, doesn't matter what other climate scientists say. 98% agree with us unequivocally, and you will fail the course. On a slightly dumber note, there's a professor at Iowa, Iowa University, Iowa Hawkeyes, terrific football team. Um, This professor fears that their mascot could traumatize their students. Now, their their mascot is a hawk uh, named Herky, okay, 
and Herky apparently uh, appears to be angry. And she's afraid, this Iowa professor, she's afraid that his angry grimace is traumatizing students. She believes incoming students should be met with welcoming, nurturing, calm, accepting, and happy messages. And not a angry-looking, fuzzy mascot. Students aren't complaining about this. Students aren't complaining. It's one professor. I'm waiting for the day now when frowning becomes a microaggression. If you frown at somebody, that's going to be a microaggression. Mark my words, it will happen. Doesn't matter that you see five-year-olds high-fiving the the uh, mascot, Herky. Uh, 18-year-olds apparently can't handle it. So, uh, but a five-year-old can. So uh, that tells you where some of these students have progressed to. So, uh, my goodness, they will succeed in life, I tell you what. Sad thing is not that this uh, professor brought it up. Sad thing is that many schools would take her seriously. I don't think Iowa is going to. If it does, I'll let you know. But uh, uh, it's, it's just incredible how these snowflakes are fawned over. I, I like the University of Chicago a couple weeks ago and came out and told their freshman incoming class, no safe zones here. We don't have any safe zones. If you're looking for a safe zone, go somewhere else. University of Chicago, big school. University of Chicago Business School, world-renowned. But uh, I'm sick of hearing about safe zones and microaggressions, and uh, we got to be nurturing, calm, accepting. You know what? Life, life is not nurturing, calm, and full of happy messages. Not out there. So... uh, If Herky upsets your kid at Iowa, uh, you know what? Maybe they're not college material. Uh, Maybe they ought to go to, um, I don't know, another country and screw in a bolt on an assembly line all day long. Um, That may be their their calling and, and qualification in life. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. See you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.